sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame. Do for the fam, not for the grand. Stunt me a destined for pain. I do not front, I do not scam. Put some respect on my name. Sick like a rain, click and I bang. Y'all gon' remember the name. Y'all gon' remember the name. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the Real Talk with Zuby podcast. On today's episode, we have got on Legacy Builder, aka LB. Welcome to the show. Appreciate it, man. Happy to be here. Appreciate what you're doing. No doubt, man. So for people who are not familiar with you, please tell them a little bit about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is LB. Uh, started my entrepreneurial journey about two years ago on Twitter uh, in, on a couch in the middle of the night at 1030. My wife was asleep, two kids asleep upstairs. Uh, a little bit about my background. Grew up in lower Alabama, played college football at the University of West Alabama, played center. And then kind of got into this journey of uh, Twitter, entrepreneur, meeting with people, different things like that. Um, But really what it started out as is just trying to figure out what I wanted to do in my life. I was a nine to five junkie, had three college degrees and thought, man, I'm going to work a nine to five for the rest of my life. And then realized there was more opportunity out there. So I'm a proud father of two beautiful girls. Uh, Me and my wife just celebrated our seven year anniversary. And now I quit my job two months ago, full time in on this journey and meeting with amazing people like you, bro. Awesome, man. Congratulations. So what made you want to jump onto social media a couple of years ago and start building a following? Man, that's a that's an amazing uh, a story. I was sitting on the couch. I alluded to that earlier. I was in thirty thousand dollars of credit card debt. Uh, struggling to say the least. My wife and I were at home. We made the decision for her to stay at home with the kids full time. So we were living off one income. I was sitting on the couch and I was scrolling through Twitter, right? Like a lot of us do at night. And I was trying to figure out, man, how am I going to make my car payment? How am I going to pay off this debt that's crippling our family? And I scrolled past this tweet, Zuby, and it said, I make $1,000 a week on Twitter. And most of the time I would see something like that. I'd be like, man, this man is full of crap. You know, like I don't want to listen to him. I keep scrolling. But that night, man, I was, I was desperate as desperate can get. So I came in, I clicked, I bought a $29 Gumroad course. And I, I downloaded that 10 page Google doc, like all of us do. I said, man, I'm going to, I launched the, my first handle was legacy builder eight. Right. So I launched a legacy builder eight that night. I wrote a thread. It was a thread about my childhood, kind of what what led up to that moment. And I jumped into the world of uh, affiliate marketing, Amazon, eBay, flipping all the all the things that people tell you you can make money on Twitter. I spent the next five months doing that. And um, but really, the, the core principle of why I wanted to start all this was it really goes back to my name, man. Like I had always had this like burning passion to want to tell my story but I had never really known a platform to be able to do that. And Twitter, like Facebook, my, my dad follows me on Facebook. We got all these other forums that you could tell, but Twitter really felt like a place where I could open up and tell my story. And it just started resonating that open feedback loop that Twitter provides is something that really hit me. And I just kept sharing that and doubling down on it. That's awesome, man. So let's go backwards a little bit and uh, tell me about your story. Man, uh, so I was born, uh, my, my mother battled with prostitution. So I was born addicted uh, to meth. 
uh, battled with that. I was adopted at a young age. I was adopted at three months old. Uh, my dad took me in and he put a, he put a stopwatch on it, right? He said, I'm, we're going to keep this kid for three months. Then we're going to figure it out on the other end. And that was over 30 years ago, right? So battled with that. I lost my adopted mother at a young age. Um, it's actually 23 years ago on the ninth of this month, I lost my adopted mother. Uh, she mm -hmm. battled with the drug, drug addiction herself. And then it was just me and my dad for 10 years. He battled with alcoholism, uh, relationships. And I always tell people, man, I, I stopped being a kid about nine years old, you know? And, uh, but the thing about it is, man, I, people ask me all the time, like, if you could go back, would you change it? You know, like, would you change anything? And I wouldn't, I mean, I love the fact that I saw struggle and trial at a young age, found football. Um, I battled with drug addiction at a young age, got in the wrong crowd when I was around 10 years old, was smoking dope in trailers, doing the wrong thing, running around the wrong crowds. And thankfully, I, I kind of saw this sport, you know, football kind of called to me. I went and tried out and uh, I started to play the same position for 12 years. I played center and my dad battled with stuff during that but what it was what it really came down to is every time i had this giant chip on my shoulder and i really had this conversation i, I refer to the story a lot uh, what made me join football was there was one night i was waiting on some some people i was on a street corner at 11 years old it was like 2 a.m and this these guys were supposed to come pick me up right so i'm sitting there sitting on the corner of the street and they never came never came to pick me up. I walked five miles home at night. And that night I realized that something had to change. You know, I had to, I had to do something that was outside. I had to be somebody in my family that changed the trajectory of our lives. And I made this choice that night that, um, at 11 years old, that I was going to do something that was different, you know, that I wanted to be the, the new foundation, if you will, of my family. And so I went out to football started taking school seriously and really poured my heart and soul into that. Man, that's, there's a lot there. Um, very, very different to my childhood. Um, mm. infinitely more difficulties and challenges from, from day one with that entire family dynamic. So first of all, it's very clear and obvious. You've put yourself in a totally different position now. So, Congratulations on doing that. Thank you. Um, but I'm curious to know more about the story. What is it that snapped in your mind? What was the what was it that dawned on you? I mean, it's kind of crazy to hear you talking about having this at 11 years old, both the you know drug usage, but then also having this sort of uh, sort of sort of moment of reflection and uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Introspection to think, okay, you know what? I want to break out of this loop for myself and my future family. I mean, that's a pretty wild thing to have at 11 years old. So yeah. tell me a little bit more about that. I think if you go to a layer deeper, um, I spent a lot of my childhood in reflection. Um, I was surrounded by, uh, I had siblings that battled with drug addiction, uh, siblings that battled with depression. Um, and when I looked around me, I didn't see it. I didn't see a lot of people doing anything about it. Like I didn't see my older brothers or anything like trying to break this cycle quite yet. All of us actually ended up pretty good. But the moment that really I, I started thinking about, cause I didn't learn I was adopted until I was nine years old. 
So if you take back into that point, I had found we were about two years removed of me learning that I was adopted at that age. So when you go your first nine years thinking your life's one way only to be hit with a death of who you thought was your biological mother to then seeing, Hey, you were adopted and you're actually this whole different person. Don't know who your biological father is. Your birth mother is still out there, but she's battling with drug addiction still. It kind of put me into this introspective and I, I found myself running, running into acceptance. And I think that's what we see a lot in society, right? We see a lot of people that are, are on that constant search of feeling like they belong. And once I, once I was on that road, on that walk home, what I realized is nobody was going to pull me out of this situation. You know, nobody was going to do this for me. And that if I wanted my children's life to be different, and I, I'll, I'll be honest with you, bro. Like I was thinking about my children and my family from the sixth grade. Mm. I was thinking, I want to be a dad. I want to be a husband and I want to change everything that I've been through. I want to change that. I don't want my kids to know this life. Mm. I want my kids why, to be like you. I want. Wh yeah. wh why, why do you think you were thinking about that so early, especially given that, you know, you'd come from a lot of times right. when people come from that type of background, the first thing on their mind at such a young age, isn't necessarily like, Hey, I want to be a, I want to be a husband. I want to be a, I want to be a father. I want to have my own family. Quite often the, the opposite happens, right? Yeah. They have a very negative perception of all those above because of what they've seen around them. So why do you think that was different for you? I think that I was blessed with some role models in my life at a young age. So even though I was running from so much, like in school, I started counseling when I was eight. So I think that that rhythm of counseling and having a counselor kind of helped me process through my emotions, put me in a reflective state, right? It put me in like, why am I doing this? Why am I making the decisions I'm making? I would see that counselor and it was really one of the few people I was open with about, I mean, my dad didn't even know this stuff was going on. Right. I mean, he was working a hundred plus hours a week, just trying to put food on the table. And that counselor really put kind of a, a feather in my mind, right. Of, Hey, how, why are you doing these things? Like when you do this, what emotion are you feeling? When you do X, what emotion are you feeling? And then I can, I can trace back to my childhood, even though I lost my mother at a young age, that the Lord put several strong women in my life to, to really shepherd me through my childhood. I mean, I could, I have three strong female role models in my life that kind of took me in that would pick me up to take me to church. I have my best friend, his parents are the closest thing to other than my dad, the parents that I have that took me in at 14, 15 years old when, I didn't have a stable lifestyle. And I had this, I grew up watching a lot of TV, bro. When you, Hey, when, when you're, uh, when you're at home alone and your dad's working so much sitcoms are, are kind of this, uh, this getaway for you. So I was like, and everybody loves Raymond guy. I was, a. Uh, I mean, I'll say this, this will be the first time I admitted this, but I was a Gilmore girls guy. I was like watching this stuff growing up, uh, Family Matters was a huge influence in my life. Mm -hmm. So I would kind of see these sitcoms, right? And I was living this life over here, but only sitcoms that showed these families 
with strong dads, with role models. I mean, you talk about Full House was in full swing in my in my childhood. You see, <laughs> you see Danny Tanner over there having a heart to heart discussion with his kids every night, right? Mm-hmm. And so I had these like, I was like, well, what? And I always tell people like when I would go over to my friends' houses, I would feel like I was watching a sitcom. Like mm-hmm. I would feel like I was sitting on that on that stool, and I was like, well, this is how a this is how a husband treats his wife. Like, or this is how a mother loves their child. Right. Mm. And I would see these examples all around me and I'm, why can't I have this? You know, why, why can't I be the person that does that? So it's, um, I've actually never, never actually told that story. So that sitcom, that sitcom lifestyle, brother. Mm. Do you know what comes in my head immediately? That's so interesting about that point you've just made, which is that you've, You've made it very clear that in your own lifetime, you were positively influenced by what you were seeing on mainstream media, in TV, in sitcoms, et cetera, right? You were looking at those dynamics of those fake families, right? Uh, The TV families and, you know, marriages and everything like that. And you're seeing that and you're using that as some type of role model or inspiration, What fascinates me about that is it makes it abundantly clear that the opposite is also possible, right? Right. Because when it comes to forms of media, whether it's TV, movies, music, etc., there's often a layer of denial around whether or not that can have negative influences and and impacts on people. And I think if if it can have a positive influence then the flip side is, yes, of course, it can have a negative influence, right? Is it the main cause of, you know, this is not me making the argument, oh, you know, rap music is the problem for the, is the reason (laughs) for the problems in the world, or like, you know, this TV show or whatever. But I think people are not intellectually consistent on this one, right? If something can have a positive influence and impact, then there must be the flip side of it as well. And I think it's actually quite remarkable and insightful that you yourself are saying, hey, when I was 10, 11, 12 years old, watching some of these models had this influence and impact on me. And given the way that a lot of mainstream media has actually changed and shifted over the decades, right? And you're actually starting to see more of like the weak fathers or goofy fathers or bad relationships or whatever kind of displayed in the mainstream as the norm. And I think a lot of people don't want to think, oh, this has any influence or impact or whatever on younger people. And I think based on what you've just said, I think that's denial. I think actually, of course, of course it does. And of course it has had some type of influence, right? Some people will be pushed in a more positive direction, others more negative. But I think if all people are seeing in the mainstream and on TV and movies, whatever, if they're seeing poor masculine examples, poor feminine examples, they're seeing all these messed up dynamics and whatever, and that's fully being normalized, then I don't know the degree of impact, but it certainly has, it certainly has some consequences. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I mean, I think we get so polarized on on good and bad in our society that it's it's hard to take an unbiased look at the impact of what's going on. Right. So, I mean, people want a right or wrong answer when they're consuming any type of polarizing topic. I mean, we see it on Twitter every day. Right. You put something out about deodorant on Twitter and then everybody <laughs> wants to go crazy. Right. I mean, you get four, I, I got a tweet about deodorant in a couple of days. See if I can ride this trend. You know, Dude, but, I, I, hey. I don't even I don't even know. <laughs> I, I've just I've just accepted at this point that no matter what I say, 
someone is going to find a way to find a fence or to poke holes in it or to get mad. Like I could, I could literally say, Hey, the, you know, the sun is shining today, have a blessed day. And you know, someone gets How triggered by the, someone gets triggered by the word blessed and, you know, asks me which God I'm referring to and wants evidence of God. <laughs> or, you know, someone's like, well, the sun's not shining where everybody is. Right. You know, what about the people who, who it's nighttime for? What about the people in cloudy places? Right. Just because you have the sun, Zuby doesn't mean everyone has access to the sun right now. And I'm like, man, I was just trying to like, you know, send a little positivity out day. there. Yeah. yeah. You know? well, <laughs> excuse Twitter. me, you know, yeah. <laughs> You got to put a couple subtweets under that. Hey, if it's not shining where you're yeah. at, I'm sorry. You yes, this yes. Like I'm that. aware that some of you are, you know, some people reading this may not even have eyes or may not have the ability to feel the sun. So I'm not trying to be ableist here. I want to account for all time zones and demographics and disabilities. And yeah. But that's the one thing I appreciate about it, though. Um, you know, that people have the ability to do that. And I think that's the beauty of social media. I think when you really think about it, people should have the ability to voice their opinions and we should have the ability to agree or disagree with them. And I know you kind of go against or go with the school of thought, but um, I want a society where we can help have healthy conversations with disagreements and then still walk away with good, good feelings towards society. Um, one of, one of the things that I, that gives me a little less, uh, fuzzy feelings inside about society is when you can't, you can't just say like, Hey, this is how I feel. And this is how you feel. And it's okay. Like it, we're always trying to convince somebody of our point. And to me, and I think this has led to more happiness than anything in my life is I don't need everybody to agree with the way I look at the world. You know, like if you, if you're going around trying to convince somebody, you're walking a very lonely road that isn't going to, isn't going to lead to a lot of places. So I, I like the, that, that fact of Twitter, that it's an open forum where people can say what they want. I, I like what Elon's doing. I hope he continues to do that. Yeah. It's the, the best and worst thing about social media is that everybody has a voice in a platform right. and that's the best and it's the worst. That's right. <laughs> blessing and a curse, you know, my it's, brother. It's, it's a blessing, blessing and a curse. And a curse. But, you know. Yeah. So, okay. So tell me a little bit more about your, about your childhood. So you have this moment. It, at right. a young age where you're like, okay, I'm currently going down this particular path. I want to make a shift. I want to make a change. And how does your life change after that? I wish I could say I made that walk home and everything was sunshine and rainbows. Um, but as is life, it was not. Um, I battled with a ton of depression and isolation as a child. And um, I tell people up until I was 18, I probably cycled out of happy and sad and and just laying on the floor, not wanting to get up moments. I mean, suicidal thoughts and what, but there's this one ringing in my head, you know, like I had made the decision that night, but just because you make a decision in life doesn't mean that you're not going to face adversity. It's actually means the opposite. When you make a, a decision in life to, to try to do something that is totally off kilter to what is quote unquote plan for your life, right? Like, every one of us is born with a set of traits and destinies. And a lot of people uh, subscribe to the thought that if this is what my father did, if this is what my grandfather did, this is what I'm going to do. And sadly that, that, that pattern continues in our society at times. But I had this thought in my head that at some point I had to be different. And so it was almost that every day I would just, no matter what I was feeling, I just kept going, right? I just kept going and going and going. And I would say the one constant in my life was therapy. 
I've probably been in and out of therapy. Um, I subscribe. I think therapy is one of the best things people can do from a mental standpoint to work through issues in their, in their lives and their marriage and anything that they're going through, having somebody help you filter through those thoughts and those limiting beliefs. But I would, I probably saw a therapist on and off for the next 10 years through college. Um, and what I would do is I would, I would say, I want to achieve this, but I feel like I, I'm not worthy of it. You know, like I, why, why should it be me? Like, why am I worthy? What, who, what makes me any different than everybody else? And really it came down to a, a bottom line. And I, I say this mantra a lot. It's why not me? You know, why, why can't I do it? You know, like if somebody's going to do it, why not me? Mm-hmm. And then people can look at me and I, I'm with you, Zuby. Like, I want people to look at me as, well, if he can do it, anybody can. You're talking about a guy. I wasn't born into wealth. I wasn't the the biggest or fastest or anything athlete that ended up playing college football, starting for three years. You're talking about a guy that his family had never had a terminal degree that was able to achieve a doctoral degree. And I say none of this to boast, but every step of my way, I said, well, why, why can't I go get a master's degree? Why can't I get a doctorate? Why can't I have a better job? And then when I saw Twitter, it's like, well, why can't I build a build a brand on Twitter and monetize it and change the entire trajectory of my family. And that's what it really, the, 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 the tr- journey from that moment, that walk to where I'm at now, uh, you talk about the theory of overnight success <laughs> and, and people want to people want to look at me and say, man, that guy's got everything. What they didn't see is I used to lay on the floor face down and, for hours and not want to move. Or I used to, get up and I would battle with imposter syndrome thinking that I wasn't worth worthy of doing X, Y, or Z, or I thought money was going to run out at any point, you know, like they don't see those hard days. And I think that's a point I want to make here is like, just because you decide to change your life doesn't mean that everything's about to go. It probably means your life's about to get a lot worse, right? You're, you're probably about to resistance is real. And when you, when you pursue a great feat, you're going to meet resistance. But what I did is I started positioning people around me that, that, that held me accountable and say, had the same ideology. And I think about my best friend, Scott, we've talked every day or every other day for the last 17 years. And here's a guy that has come out and he's my best friend, been with me on my darkest days, on my greatest triumphs. But he doesn't judge. And I think that's something that's missing from from our world. I can tell him something and he's like, you know what? That's something you're walking through right now. And it's probably something you need. Or I can tell him something else. And he's like, hey, you know, good. I, I can mess up and he's totally fine with it. And I think people need to start. You don't you don't have to you don't have to isolate yourself to city limits for your friend group. I mean, Zuby, you're a great guy. I consider you a friend. You know, I consider Ty Romper a friend. These are people that outside of Twitter, I would have never met. And because I kind of put myself out there and started saying, I want people around me that promote positivity, that promote the betterment of human society and and choose to see good. That's when my life started getting a lot better. No doubt, man. Life really is what life really is what people make it. You know, I think oftentimes there's a temptation for people to you know, regardless of their position and their status or levels of talent, whatever it is, it's very popular to 
I don't know. I think one of the biggest problems the West is suffering from is a denial of personal responsibility and autonomy on all levels, right? And, you know, for someone like myself who hasn't been through many of the things you described in childhood and so on, people want to dismiss a level of success I've achieved based just on, oh, you know, you just got lucky, you're just privileged, you just, you know, had all this, right? They, they don't want to consider the level of effort and the 15 plus years of grind and all the nonsense and rejection that they didn't see. And then even when you show them an example of someone who, okay, well, what about this person, right? This person's surely not quote unquote privileged or, you know, hasn't had, you know, they had all this adversity that they dealt with, whether it's drugs, whether it's family, whether it's, uh, you know, injury, sickness, whatever it might be. And you've got all these millions of examples of people who have achieved success despite, you know, having the odds stacked against them, not being born with a great deck. And people still kind of, you know, pe- people sort of then shift and they're like, oh, well, yeah. you know, they're also lucky or they're still privileged, right? They'll look at someone like yourself. Oh, well, you know, he's a white man. So, you know, he's got, right. for, forget about all the other stuff. He's what, you know, oh, you know, he's privileged. What about this? And then you show them as someone who's, okay, this person's black and they're an immigrant and they came with nothing. And it's like, oh, well, this, and I, I don't like it. I, I, I think, I think it's a massive cope. And I also think it's a really sort of negative message to be spreading, both to people who could be inspired by it, but I also don't like it when people play down other people's success, right? If you look at it, we all have elements of fortune, right? Just being born in the time period we were in, in the countries that we were in, being able-bodied, you know, being of sound mind, right? You know, having all of our limbs intact, like you know, being able to see, being able to hear. I mean, these things are all privileges and advantages, right? You could have been born in South Sudan. You could have been born in a poor village in Rwanda, right? But, oh, wow, you you were born in the USA, right? Even if it's not in the greatest circumstances, just being born in the USA in the last 50 years, you could say is a massive privilege compared to most of the billions of human beings who have ever existed. So, yeah, you can always frame things with the good fortune lens or the luck lens or the or the privilege lens, but you can't really learn anything from that. I think extraordinary people, for the most part, are people who are ordinary and do extraordinary things, right? Anyone can become an extraordinary person by being the average dude or the average gal who then has an idea and a mindset and is consistent and executes on something that then makes them extraordinary, right? It's the right. very, very few people are just born. Oh, you're just incredibly, just massively naturally gifted right. in some regard. Yes, that happens here and there, but it, it's, it's the exception, right? Most people who are amazing at a sport, they're amazing at a sport. Yes, they have some innate talent, but they also put in tens of thousands of hours throwing that ball or kicking that ball or lifting that weight or doing that fight, like whatever it is. Right. So to just say, Oh, well, he's got great genetics. It's like, you wouldn't even, you wouldn't even know who has good genetics or not unless they put in the thousands of hours of effort. Right. There's some people, there's someone walking around right now with the best genetics in the world for X sport and they never did it. They never train, they never do anything. So you wouldn't even know, but by looking at them, it might just look like some average dude, whereas had he put in that same work, maybe right. that person would have been a top-class athlete or an amazing musician or fantastic at whatever it is. But yeah, that, that, that's how I frame it, and I think, it's, I think it's more realistic. And I also think it's a more useful framing because I think so many people just think, oh, well, I'm just ordinary, right? I'm just the normal guy. I'm just the average guy. 
you know, what can, what can I do? And they don't realize, Hey, it's not about having some magical talent. It's like, you can dedicate your life to something. And especially in this day and age, you can share your story, which is, you know, what you do. It's like, Hey, you can make it, you can literally just make an account, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, right. Instagram, you can, you can make an account of just being your quote unquote average self, just being on your journey. And you can now reach thousands or millions of people out there who are ahead of you, who are behind you, who are at your level in all these regards. Right. You can make friends with people. You can connect. You can network. You can inspire people. You can be inspired by others. This is what I love about social media. You know, the downside is all the negativity that people throw out right. there because they're in a bad mindset. But even if you're in a bad environment where you don't have a lot of role models in front of you, you can literally find them online. You can you can create a whole feed of just here are the fi 500 people who just massively inspire you every day and who you can communicate with and talk to and actually get to know in person. The amount of people I've met in the real world. I've met thousands of people at this point in the real world right. who I originally connected with on social media, right? Famous people, not famous people, normal people, celebrities, just, you know, and, and it's remarkable. And if you use it and you share your story and you're kind to people and you're honest, then, then that's what happens. Authenticity wins out. I think we, we've never been at a more uh, accessible point to building a personal brand. You know, and people hear that. I mean, uh, I think for many years, people gave that word to celebrities or athletes or anything like that. But it's accessible to tell your story and build. And I think uh, what I use, the term I use a lot for social media is access. I mean, it's never been easier to reach out to somebody and learn and curate your life. And that's what you just alluded to. Uh, what inputs matter, what you're inputting into your mind, what you're consuming on a daily basis. If you want to be on that left or right politically, and you want to indoctrinate yourself in doing that on Twitter, you can easily curate your timeline to do that. But my sweet spot and what really got me into ghostwriting and personal brand building in the first place was seeing people like me, seeing people with a story or a skill or something uh, kind of locked up inside of them that was begging to be begging to be released, but they just didn't have the step one to three to do that and to show them how to curate their thoughts and to write and to share their story and get over the stigma that exists in sharing our story with. And I, you're talking to a guy that used to subscribe to that, right? Like I used mm -hmm. to be the guy like, nobody wants to hear my story. I don't want to share it. It's too personal. Yep. Um, I was the guy, people would see me walking around. I mean, I played football. Football is one of the, the, the greatest sports because of the uh, people from diverse backgrounds, different cultures. And I would walk into a locker room and they say, there's a, there's a standard guy that's gotten everything handed to them in his life. And I wasn't the guy going around beating my chest saying, well, you don't know that my mom died of cancer. You don't know that I went through X, Y, and Z. I was just kind of that silent guy. But then what I, what I, what I learned, man, and what I, I wish people would learn is that this story shouldn't just belong to you. Like your story mm. should, belongs to the world. Mm -hmm. And once you start sharing that story, I don't care if a million people get mad at me. I care. I speak to the one. And I think that's how you tweet as well. It's like I'm speaking to the one person. I'm speaking to myself. I'm speaking to 12 year old LB that just wish somebody would have looked at him and said, hey, you can do whatever you want. You can do whatever you want in life. 
you have access to information. You have access to everything you need, education, resources. We've never had more access, even now, decades after that. We have access to so much knowledge. The learning curve has almost flattened for us to learn a skill, for us to tell our story, for us to pick a platform to do that. But people need to be inspired to do that. People yeah. need to feel that they need to feel the motivation of it, but then they need to learn the discipline because mm -hmm. it's that dopamine hit, right? People want to say like, I, I got people that come to me all the time. Like, Hey, if I don't see any return in two months, I want my money back. Or if I don't yep. see any return in six months, I want, I was like, well, I've been tweeting for over 600 days. God knows how long you've been tweeting. Zoom. <laughs> it's been a decade, Dude, I've been, right? I've been, on, I've been on Twitter a decade, man, longer. I've been on Twitter right. since June, 2019. <laughs> Look at that. And, and it took me, here's something beginning. So I've been on Twitter since June, 2019 at the beginning of January, 2019, I had 17,000 followers. Wow. It took me a decade to get to 17,000 followers. So people look at my account now and they're like, oh, wow, this guy's got, you know, 1.1 million plus followers on Twitter. It's like, dude, it took me 10 years to, to get to 20,000. People actually grow a lot faster on Twitter now than they used to. Like Twitter right. is completely different to how it was in like 2011, yes. 2012, even 2015. You can grow a lot faster now um, and the platform is a lot more popular. So, yeah, I, I've experienced the same where someone's like, oh, you know, I've been on Twitter for a year and I've only reached 10,000 followers. And I'm like, dude, like this is uh you don't uh, call me back in nine, <laughs> call me back in nine years yeah yeah Pe people really do not see the grind and i think a, a lot of it is because a lot of people don't share those stories i'm i'm always i like to share my right. stories and my progress and sometimes people even like i said people get mad at everything right sometimes i'll share a milestone and people get mad at me why do you care how many followers you have why do you care how many subscribers i'm like dude it's showing the journey I'm showing you, you know, yesterday I hit 200,000 subscribers on YouTube. Congratulations I hit 10, on that, by thank, the way. Thank you. Thank you. I hit 10,000 subscribers in 2019. So I'm showing you, look, I've gone from under 10,000 subscribers and under, I mean, across my platforms, I have done about a 35x in the past four years. Wow. And that four years is coming after a previous 10 years where I was putting in effort on all these different platforms. So I want to show and demonstrate to people, hey, like this is a long haul thing. And you might be putting in work for six months, one year, two years, even five years. And you think, oh, I should be further ahead or I'm not seeing progress or whatever. And I'm like, yo, dude, you might, it might take a decade before you really start to see that, right. that hockey stick going up. So don't quit so early and also don't feel so entitled, right? Don't be that guy who, oh, you've been going to the gym for three weeks and you're complaining that you're not as jacked as the guy who's been going for 15 years. It's like, man, you gotta, you gotta pay your dues. There's not shortcuts with all these things. You have to put in the effort. And I do think that our society and culture has really trained people. It's really trained the average person, number one, to be very entitled, but also right. to think that things should happen much, much faster than they're really supposed to. And I think one of the dangers of that as well, which people don't think about is you do have a kind of easy come, easy go thing. Because if you do grow very, very quickly or you do have success very quickly, number one, you don't appreciate it, but also you don't really realize how you've gotten there and you don't gain all the skills in the, in the process. One reason why I'm so 
competent at the various things I do now is because I do have 15 years of more than 15 years. I put out my first album in 2006. Wow. When I, when I was a teenager, right? Man. And I, w I went full time. I've been, I was selling my CDs on the street from 2006, talking to people out there, talking to people in person. I've met over half a million people in the real world in, in the process of all I'm doing, traveling all these places, whatever. Even in terms of traveling and what I do, I've been traveling internationally by myself since I was 11. So wow. when I'm Overnight sharing this, yeah, yeah, that, that's the thing. But, but, what's, but what's amazing about that is it means that by the time I get the opportunity to go on Joe Rogan or to sit down with Ben Shapiro or to be on TV or to stand in front of a crowd and speak, I've, I've got the competence and the communication skills and the experiences right. and the ability. Like when I, I, don't, I, don't write my, I don't write speeches. Like people are always, oh, you know, what are you going to talk about at this event? I'm like, bro, I don't know. I freestyle everything. Like I, I just, yes. just like I haven't planned this podcast, I step on stage and I just let it flow. And people are like, wow, that's amazing. And I'm like, e well, I've been kind of doing it for more than half my life in right. various formats. So you, you just learn those skills and you can't do that. If I just had, I don't know if I was 21 and stuff just kind of blew up for me and I had all these opportunities, honestly, I would have, I would have squandered a lot of them, or I certainly wouldn't have been that competent because I just wouldn't have known I'd say it wasn't until I was like maybe 32, 33 years old where I would have felt comfortable to stand on certain stages or be on certain platforms and tell my story and express ideas, sit there on a three-hour podcast that millions of people are listening to and not be boring and not say stupid things and not be umming and aahing and, you know, just saying like every three seconds and not knowing how to communicate my points or articulate my ideas. I can only do that now because I've put in so many, many reps. reps. I think this podcast we're recording is episode 260 something of my own podcast, wow. but I've done over 500 podcasts in the past few years and you get good at articulating yourself and thinking and also listening just by doing a lot, right? You just, you keep on doing it. And then a point comes where people are like, oh, wow, you know, you're, you're super talented. I wish I had your genetics or luck on that thing. And I'm like, man, it's, uh, it's been a journey. It's really been a journey. And that's such a, people hear that and they think it's a cop out, right? So they're like, it's been a journey. You don't it's know. The they're like, oh, man, you, but the thing is, it's everything we do in these moments leading up are preparing us for bigger moments. And I think once you kind of take that mindset and you say, hey, what can I learn today to prepare me for the moment I don't even know is possible two to five years from now? And I think you're a living example of that, right? So you think through when you take the mindset that everything you do is preparing. One thing you said on, on Twitter the other day is I don't do anything unless I'm going to do it for 10 years. Something I think about a lot lately is like I don't want to do a one-year plan or a three-year plan. I want a 90-year plan. I want to be doing this for the rest of my life. And I think people don't realize once you get locked into that mindset of this is who I am, this is what I do, there's power in that. And there's power in knowing that this is, this is what I was meant to do. But you can't see it in the moments. And that's why it's so important. You asked about my childhood, like, why did I do this? Like, what made me do this and get this introspective look into myself? And 
if there's one takeaway from my childhood, it's always looking inside of why do I make the decisions I make? Why do I do what I do? And it's not, it's not enough to say money or fame or access. It really is to that concept of legacy is very important to me. And I, I, I saw something the other day where somebody said in two generations, you won't be remembered. Like you might be seen, like your name might be, might be known, but nobody's going to, there's not going to be many people. There's not going to be anybody alive that's had a conversation with you. If you haven't written well, there's not going to be any memory of you. So what are you doing today and during your lifetime to build that legacy that can be carried on through stories, but also through personality traits, through impacting life? I always say this, unless you, unless you cure a disease or write some amazing book or do something like that, the chances of impacting a wide society are very slim, right? Once we think about that. But when you start seeing the world as changing the world one person at a time and one conversation at a time, one thing that's lacking from our society, Zuby, is presence. Hmm. Nobody wants to be present anymore. Everybody wants to get to the next moment. They want to get to the next TikTok. They want to get ne- to the next Netflix episode. They want to, they, they have this running timer in their head where they're like, man, but there is such a power in being present with somebody. And I think if we, if we kind of took that mantra of how can I be more present, present, there's my Southern accent coming out present (laughs) in that moment, then we'll start seeing real change in the world. Because when have you, you've done it, like when you go, when you travel and you meet somebody that you've never met before and they feel like you're locked into that conversation, it makes them feel so known and seen. And that's so rare in our society today that I, that's something I challenge myself to every day. Yeah. Well, we've never been more distracted. So I think that's the main reason, you know, I do think for sure the smartphones and social media are the biggest culprit. The vast majority of people, both adults and young people are at least somewhat addicted to their smartphone and social media, certainly in the West. I mean, if you, I mean, even in a gym, I was going to say, like, go to a train or an airport or something and see how many people are on their phones. Even in a gym, you can look up in a gym and the majority of people at any given moment are looking down at their phone, which was not the case 15, let alone 20 years ago. So whether or not we want to admit it, I mean, I I will totally accept that I'm somewhat addicted to my smartphone and to Twitter specifically. I don't find Instagram addictive. I don't find Facebook addictive. I don't find anything addictive except Twitter specifically. But I'm also very conscious of that. It's one of the reasons why I take every Sunday off and have a have a mental break. Um, And also being cognizant of it, it means that I do what you said, right? If I am talking to somebody one-on-one. I'm not in a lull, you know, moment where I'm just sitting by myself in an airport or whatever, where I'll just be scrolling through my phone and staying distracted. Um, if I'm talking to another human being, if I'm at a restaurant, if I'm in any personal conversation, whatever, then that person has my, has my attention. I hate being on my phone if I'm talking to someone else. And if someone else does it, even I normally will call them out on it and be like, Hey, you know, do you want to be on your phone? Or do you want to you have a conference? Cause I don't think people even realize, I think people just do it without even realizing that they're doing it. So I think the, the the distraction is a, is a massive problem. I think our dopamine receptors have just been, have just been so fried over the, uh, over the years. And it's getting even worse now where people are getting addicted to the short form content. 
I mean, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's bad enough being addicted to the longer form stuff, but where it's just like you just need to be zapped every five seconds with noise and music and images. I mean, you're now seeing, I don't know if you've seen some of those short form TikToks and reels now where there's like multiple multiple videos on the screen at the same time. Oh yeah, you got like a, you got like Roadrunner going on the bottom dude. with a video up on the top. Yeah. That is like, insane, man. It's like are, you <laughs> Yeah, I'm like you are just frying your system right there. I mean, no wonder people could not concentrate on anything for more than a couple minutes cuz yeah, that's uh that that's another concern. I often say we're just running the biggest human social experiment internationally Huge. of all time biggest ever of all time. And I don't think people think about the fact we're all participating in this. There's obviously a lot of benefits for many people, but um, it's all so much in its infancy. And um, we really don't know the impact of it. It it freaks me out sometimes, man. I I don't know if you think about this, but I mean, on Twitter, you've got what over 200,000 followers, right? Coming up on 300,000. Coming up on 300,000. Okay. Um, you know, and with me across my platforms now, it's approaching, approaching 2 million across the platforms and that's cool, but it's also scary. Like it does freak me out. I'm like, that is a lot of people. Like that's a lot of people that I can just reach with a random thought, a random video, a random idea. I mean, who in the past, in most of human history, how many people had a million plus people they could read? Like nobody, right? Unless you were literally like a king, king of a nation. And even then you couldn't reach all those people in at this in real time. You couldn't broadcast a message out there that they could just hear. And it's it freaks me out sometimes. Sometimes I'm like, man, too many people know. A lot of power. Yeah, I'm it freaks me. I'm just I'll just be in the store like grocery shopping in a city I've never been to in my life in a random country. I'm not from And someone's oh, Zuby, like, what's up? Great to meet. And I'm like, that's cool. But I'm also like, why do you know me? Like, that's. Right. That's weird. You know, I've had so many inc- incidents and moments where I'm just like, this is cool, but it's also really weird and unnatural. It comes with a lot of responsibility. And I it think does. that's, um, I think that's something a lot of people don't realize, you know, like, uh, and that's why it's so important to know why you're doing it and what your core values are in principle. And that's one thing I respect so much about you, even when you were suppressed for a little while. it's like, I know who I am and what I'm doing. And I'm not going to veer from that just to uh, appease an algorithm or appease somebody trying to get my message out or different things like that. I'm going to stay true to myself in the good years and the bad years on the good days and the bad days because it's who I am. And you have a personal responsibility to do that to your audience. And that's what I tell people all the time. Don't chase trends. Don't do this and that. Like just be yourself, know your message, know why you're doing something. And, you're going to sleep better at night and you're going to be better off for it in the long run, just staying true to who you are. Even you talk about Ben, you talk about Joe Rogan, like those guys for all they are, they stay true to their message. They are who they are and they stay true to it and they benefited from it. Now, do you agree with everything they say or disagree with everything they say? Sure. But they never waver and there's power in that and there's power in being authentic and realizing. And that's why I love the positivity you alluded to it earlier, curate your timeline in a way that gives you life doesn't detract from who you are. Absolutely. Absolutely. Tell me more about the work that you've, uh, that you're doing now. So you told me you've just recently quit your job and right. you've gone full time with what now? So I'm a full time, uh, ghost writer for a lack of a better word. 
I work with uh, CEOs, founders, entrepreneurs, people that are wanting to build a personal brand, but it's kind of evolved from the traditional sense of ghostwriter. Uh, a year ago, I started on Twitter or two years ago, a year ago, I launched my business and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I had been apprentice, started making some good money. I was making $2,000 writing Twitter threads for another ghostwriter and he came to me. He said, you can do this on your own. You were ghostwriting like, for a ghostwriter. I was ghostwriting for a ghostwriter. That's right. <laughs> welcome to the, welcome to the, the dirty world of ghostwriting. Right. So I was ghostwriting for a ghostwriter. He had an agency and he said, Hey man, let me teach you how to, how to get your own clients. And so I got my first client and one client led to two. Then I lost a couple clients and most people would have quit right then, but I kept going, learn, grew, and then I started hitting some pretty big months, man. I invested in some coaching, went from 10K a month to 30K a month, had 100K a month. And it evolved from, we don't just, I don't just want to produce content for people. That's pretty much the easiest thing I do on a month to month basis is producing content. What I want to do is produce content that truly shows who people are, the clients that I work with. So it shows what they believe in. The number one thing I ask clients when we get on a call is what is your goal? Is your goal to grow and be on podcasts like this? Is your goal to, to one day monetize? Is your goal just to be able to access and, and hold a public forum where your opinion is seen? And so we do that through a combination of tweets and threads. But the, my favorite thing to do is work with people that were in the same situation I was in. So I do coaching as well. So I help while I'm building personal brands, on the back end, I'm meeting with people one-on-one -on -one and saying, what are you passionate about? Like, you're in real estate right now, but you really want to do one-on-one -on -one coaching with people where you help them overcome limiting beliefs. How can we do that? I think we've reached a point of our society where you don't have to get a formal education to be able to do things, right? You can, you can self-educate. You can train yourself. You can learn dietitians. You can learn different things like this. And so the possibilities are real. And so I work with people as we grow their brands to offer, create funnel generation, lead flow and all those things, and then help them walk away from and curate their life to freedom. Because the number one reason I did what I did wasn't to make six, seven figures. It was to spend more time with my kids. It was to take it was to take every Tuesday and spend the day with my wife. It was to jump on a podcast at one o'clock in the afternoon with you. Uh, it's the freedom of of choice. And I think in our society, we have that. We have access to technology. So now I, I run a run rate of a seven-figure ghostwriting agency that works with those guys. And what I do now is really just meeting with people, seeing what their heart wants to say, what their mind wants to say, and training them, like, how do you get that? And how do you get through the algorithm in a way to curate your life and have access to the right people? I hear that. And you touched on it now. You touched on it briefly there. But um, how does your how does your family being a husband, being a father of two? How does your family motivate everything that you're doing now, especially given this is something that, you know, you wanted for a long time? My girls, man. So I think about them a lot. I have two young girls. My oldest will be five in July. My youngest just turned two. And the thought of present fathers in our society is something that really motivates me and inspires me to want to be a present father and show guys that they can be present fathers. And then to truly pour into my wife and have a relationship where we're doing things together and we're complimenting each other in a way 
where we're forming our life, where our kids can see abundance, they can see entrepreneurship, they can see what a health, what does healthy disagreements look like? Um, that's something I think about all the time is I want to show my kids what a real marriage looks like, not them think mom and dad are always happy or mom and dad are always this, but kind of giving them that look into this is how you have healthy conflict. So my kids and my wife are everything to me. Uh, they're, they're the reason I wake up. They're what I do. Everything I build is because of that. And because of that, why I don't, I don't, I still have burnout, but when I do experience burnout, it's really easy for me to center and say, why am I doing this in the first place? And my wife is a very strong willed person who thankfully reminds me of why I got started in this all the, all the time and keeps me humble, which I appreciate. That's dope, man. And what are the plans for the future? Have you got anything major that people should be looking out for or aware of? Absolutely. So I'm actually in, in the beginnings of launching my own YouTube channel, which I'm excited about kind of talking about this journey, talking about how to build offer creation, personal brand, how to leverage your story and really own that story and building something bigger than yourself and giving yourself either side income or a way to kind of get out of the nine to five grind if that's what you want. But the nine to five is made for people. There's, there's honor in working a nine to five. I don't subscribe to the fact that everybody should get out of the nine to five. Um, I'm building that YouTube channel. I'm continuing to build up my portfolio of brands that I'm working with and really just curating my life in a way that family is the number one priority. I get to help people. Uh, that's my business is helping people. It's not about making money or different things like that. That just happens to be a byproduct. And so that YouTube channel is a big thing that I'm working on. And then just continuing to work with personal branding and working with people building that. That's dope, man. I've, I've loved hearing more about your story and everything that drives it, man. Um, like I said before, dude, props on props on what you've done. There are so many people who would have those type of life experiences and that type of rocky start. And they'd use that as a permanent excuse for their entire lifetime to just be a failure in everything and to be malcontent and to be angry and obnoxious and right. just overall unpleasant people. So mm -hmm. I have, I have great respect for people who regardless of their starting situation have used that as rocket fuel rather than as a permanent alibi to, you know, be a bad, nasty, unsuccessful person. So you've done the complete opposite. And I think that's awesome. I appreciate that, brother. It means a lot. Been a huge inspiration to my journey, man. So thank you for everything you're doing. Awesome, man. I'm happy to hear that. And where can people find and follow you online? So right now, you can find me on Twitter at LegacyBuilder underscore underscore. And then you'll have all the links to everything else once you follow me on Twitter. Awesome. LB, thanks for coming on the show, man. Appreciate you, brother. Sick with the slang, sick and I'm destined for fame.